Hey, creatives. I am excited to share season two, episode three of the Creative Psychotherapist with you. Today, I'm speaking with Crystal Demain, who is a board certified music therapist, a registered expressive arts therapist. Uh, she is trained in yoga therapy and, um, of course, also has a PhD. And today we're talking all about her book, uh, which is called The Roots and Rhythms of the Heart, Our Musical Connection to Identity, Spirit, and Lineage. And she's just done an amazing job in illustrating how she uses the heart and our heartbeat in therapy and the work that she does with clients. And um, yeah, so I hope you enjoy this conversation. The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of the Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater impact in their communities, and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi. Thanks so much for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. I'm your host, Raina Lombardi, and I am delighted to welcome my next guest. Her name is Dr. Crystal Demain, PhD, and she grew up in a small coastal community of Rockport, Massachusetts with her mother, father, and two sisters. As a young girl, she was inspired by her creative surroundings with her parents as owners of the iconic Bearskin Neck Country Store, and her father, an accomplished bass player. She was drawn to creative pursuits with music and art, which became her life's passion. Her roots of training in music therapy, neuroscience, creative writing, photography, expressive arts, and yoga led her to 20 years of private practice, working across the lifespan with neurodiverse populations, mental health, and grief support. She earned a bachelor's in music therapy from Berkeley College of Music, a master's in education in counseling psychology from Cambridge College, and a PhD in expressive therapies from Lesley University. She's a board-certified music therapist, a registered expressive arts therapist, and a registered yoga teacher with advanced training in neurologic music therapy, performance wellness, integrative medicine for mental health, trauma-sensitive heart math, and is a listening hour practitioner. She's written numerous peer-reviewed articles and book chapters and presented her work across the globe. Her experience is, has led her to um, <clears throat> currently be a full professor of expressive therapies at Endicott College in Beverly, Massachusetts, overseeing the art therapy and expressive therapy undergraduate degree programs 
and coordinating the biennial, biennial Endicott College Expressive Therapy Symposium. She also teaches part-time at both Lesley University in the Psychology and Applied Therapies Department and at Salem University in the Music and Dance Department. Dr. Domain lives in Beverly, Mass., uh, with her bright young son, and her most recent book, The Roots and Rhythm of the Heart, shares her philosophy of working with the heart in healing, grief, and the arts. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Raina. It's such a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, I am super curious. I feel like I've been exposed to a number of the things that you're trained in, but I'm not familiar with what a listening hour practitioner is. What is that? So the listening hour is a program that was developed by um, Mr. Fox, who um, gave us the method of playback theater and um, playback theater rooted in drama and performance, um, performing the stories of people's lives. And during the COVID lockdowns, um, when we couldn't physically meet with people and give these kinds of performances, he developed the concept of the listening hour, where a group of small people would come to a Zoom link and um, about three or four, maybe five people, and one person um, would be the facilitator. Um, everybody would take a, a turn sharing um, a three to five minute story and simply listening to one another. And the facilitator would put all of those stories together in a reflection, um, looking at the connection of being heard and being listened to. That's sort of a terse um, um, explanation, but there are, you know, there's a traditional opening and closing involved in the process, but that's the roots of the listening hour. So I've done the training to help facilitate that process. Oh, that sounds really fun and interesting. Thank you. Yeah, it's something that I I, I think um, I'd like for my students to learn how to do and also something that I'm planning to bring to them and offer a monthly listening hour because everybody has a story and we all deserve to have our stories heard. Mm, yeah, that's such a big piece of the work that we do as therapists is that people allowing people a space to be heard and listened to oftentimes in our just regular uh, interactions in the world, there's like a listening to respond. Um, like we'll listen, but we're focused on the response that we might be providing to the other person. Whereas I feel like real deep listening um, is more intentional to really understand um, clearly what the other person is saying. And we don't, necessarily practice that so much I think it's a deeply challenging skill and it's not something that comes naturally to us and we develop these sort of anxieties and thought patterns over life where we want to jump in and and give a reaction or give a response um, but to just sit there and listen to somebody's story is it's it's definitely a skill that can be cultivated I think mm -hmm. yeah so tell me a little bit about how you came to writing this new book, The Roots and Rhythm of the Heart. 
Um, it's such a great title. Thank you. Um, well, the concept of the book started some years ago, I would say around um, 2010 or something like this, where I was thinking of writing about some of the work that I was doing in music therapy and my music therapy practice. I do a lot of the idea of tuning into the heartbeat. And I see the heartbeat as this physical rhythm that's within each of our human bodies and the bodies of many living creatures. It's something that we're born with. It's something that's detected even before the human comes out of the womb. Um, it is the first functioning organ in the human body. And regardless of ability, I was able to work with people across the lifespan before birth, after death, using the heartbeat. And so the idea of writing about it evolved when I was up for a sabbatical where I teach at Endicott College. And I had applied to... Um, the sabbatical for spring of 2020 and we have to apply for a sabbatical about a year in advance and so I had to sort of prepare my materials about a year and a half in advance and I submitted my proposal and was ready to write a book about my music therapy work and then around that time um, my father died unexpectedly and suddenly and my father and this is something I write about in the book was really a deep inspiration to my evolution in the field of music and music therapy. He himself was a musician, and you mentioned that at the beginning, that he was a bass player. Um, and he also went to Berklee College of Music, just like me. Oh, um, that's so yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. So in that regard, I followed in his footsteps. Um, so as this book um you know I had submitted a proposal I had signed a book agreement to write with a publisher to write this book um about my music and then my dad died and so it sort of shifted the the line of how I wrote the book where I began to integrate stories of my musical identity um going through the grief process um looking more deeply at um, sort of quantum physics and how energy exists all around us and what happens to consciousness after we die. And so then when I finally finished writing the manuscript and submitted it, I, it, it wasn't the best fit for that publisher anymore. And I decided to not make any changes and continue on the path that I was on with this writing. And I ended up self-publishing the book. Um, so it, it just was published um, in October of 2022. And so this is how the book has evolved in looking at um, the roots and rhythm of the heart. So it certainly did take a, on a life of its own, um, so to speak. I think that's really cool that you decided to not seek out additional publishers, but stay true to your message um, and 
go the self-publishing route. What was that like for listeners that might be also in a similar position where they're really integrating um, a very personal philosophy and idea and they want to publish it, but they don't necessarily want to go through um, a more traditional publishing route. What was that like to self-publish? Um, it was it was a pretty significant learning curve for me in terms of, um, firstly, I wanted to hire an editor. So I, I found um, a wonderful editor who teaches at a university in California who teaches copy editing and um, was able to connect with her based on the story. She thought she could relate to the story and had a, a sense of um, what my aim was and my intent was for the book. So it was good to submit my manuscript to an editor. Um, that was important for me. Um, the next thing that I had to do um, was um, find a designer for the book cover. Uh, quite often a publisher will do all of the formatting and the design for the book, um, but I was very fortunate to work with one of my colleagues, Dan Danielle Courier, who's the chair of graphic design here at Endicott College. And she and I met for coffee and I discussed my book with her and she mocked up 10 different book covers for me. And um, I I loved all of them, but then um, ended up settling on the one that integrated the symbol of the tree roots um, and my favorite color purple and the pulse of the heartbeat. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that was really fortunate. Um, I had to do an author photo. My son actually, who's who was eight years old at the time, now he he just turned nine, but he took the photograph that's on the back cover. So he, that was that was really great. Um, I had to learn a lot about design and formatting, and that was the biggest learning curve for me. Um, was making sure I chose a font that was readable, um, that all of the text came to the bottom of the page, um, the margins were correct. I had to buy um, ISBN numbers through Bowker, um, and I had to find a book distributor. So um, I ended up working with Ingram Spark Lightning Source, and they're the world's largest book distributor. So um, through Ingram, you can find my book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, um, websites for almost every bookstore around the world. Um, it It's at the library. Um, it's in the library system. Um, I was through Bowker, not through Bowker, through Ingram Spark, able to turn it into an ebook as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm looking to produce a hardcover copy, um, which um, just requires a little bit um design changes with the book cover, but I've purchased an ISBN for that as well. So those are all the steps I think involved. And then you just have to promote it and market it. Yep. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it doesn't sound easy. It sounds, it sounds like there's, um, it's a complicated process, but it's doable. How long did it take you from start to finish to get to the point of having the design laid out um, and getting it published? Um, well, once you have the 
the manuscript and the cover uploaded and the design looks great. Um, Ingram Spark has to approve the design and, and then they send you a digital proof um, within, it, it can be up to five days that they send you the digital proof. Um, and then I, as the author, need to approve that. And then it could be the next day. So this can all happen in a week. The next day wow. it could be and available for global distribution. So it's quite a quick process. Um, and I think that many publishers distribute through Ingram Spark um, as the world's largest largest book distributor. Um, so I think if if you you know the the industry is booming for publishing. Um, I actually recently signed another book publishing contract with um, Rutledge. So I'm working on an, a next book now. And so it seems pretty, pretty quick. If you've got that manuscript and you get a good editor and um, a good designer to help you with formatting, um, then I think you're good to go. Mm -hmm. Is your new book going to be um, related to this topic or something totally different? Um, in some ways, because the new book will be on therapeutic and expressive writing. Oh. So it'll be on creative writing, and I'm co-authoring it with Tamar Einstein, uh, my colleague who lives in Israel. And the book will, will be more of an academic focus, whereas The Roots and Rhythm of the Heart is a, designed as an adult trade book um, for the trade market. The having... Um, the academic focus um, will, it'll be an integration of more of a creative writing process with activities outlined for people to do similar to the roots and rhythm of the heart, um, but will be more of work for working with educators and therapists, but also general, the general public. Fun. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, the roots and rhythm of the heart when I have the book, I've been reading it. I'm about halfway through. And what I thought was really interesting is that each chapter has like a recommended listening piece, like a piece of music to listen to, to go with the, the chapter, but also there's an expressive arts exercise or an, a creative activity that goes along with each topic. How did you come up with this um, piece? Thank you, Raina. Um, these activities I've been practicing for years in my classes, and I've been teaching them in workshops at conferences. Um, and some of them I practice on my own at home. For example, the first activity, which I call heart sensory breathing, um, is all about just listening to the heart and tuning into the heart. Um, and that was something that I, I guess, developed um, in my own life when I was going through stressful times. Um, and so the heart sensory breathing allowed me to bring some grounding to my body through breath and tuning into the most energetic part of my body, which is the heart. Yeah. And what about the music that goes along with the exercise? Sure. Um, 
the music I chose, I thought complemented the theme of the chapter. And so there's so much, so much music that I could have. And I actually reached out to people because I struggled and said, what do you think of this song or this song for this topic? Um, and, you know, the, I thought if I could make sort of like a soundtrack to go along with after you finish each chapter and just listen to the song or maybe introduce somebody to some new music that I thought that would be a nice way to, to give a little bit back to the chapter. No, I thought that was um, a really interesting point that, okay, like each, each section had its own recommended listening and um, yeah, it is like a soundtrack to your, to the chapters of your book, which is a really cool concept. I've not seen anything like it um, out there. Thank you. Yeah. This episode of The Creative Psychotherapist is brought to you by Florida Art Therapy Services. Florida Art Therapy Services is a proud provider of continuing education sponsored through the Florida Board of Clinical Social Work, Marriage and Family Therapy and Mental Health Counseling, and offers a wide variety of continuing education trainings on the topics of supervision, art therapy, and other requirements for Florida licensure. We are excited to be welcoming special guest uh, trainers, art therapists, Carol Cox and Amy Bucciarelli, who will be teaching a Mastering the Meaning of Mandalas training. It's a three-day intensive training, which will allow participants to earn 20 hours worth of CEUs. And that's going to be taking place April 28th through 30th, 2023 at our Fort Myers office. Over the course of the three days, people will be exploring mandala making as a way to find identity and meaning through the lens of the life cycle. It's taught in a unique format, which incorporates lectures, meditation, music, and lots of artistic creation of mandalas as well. I took this training in 2019 and I was blown away by the content and it's altered my work uh, since having taken the training and I'm excited to take it again. And I really encourage you all to check it out. If you have any interest in deepening your understanding of the mandala and um, helping to use it as a, uh, a source of greater understanding with your clients, I highly recommend uh, checking it out. Amy and Carol do a phenomenal job. And you can learn more about that training and all the other trainings that we provide at Florida Art Therapy Services on our website, www.floridaarttherapyservices.com. Just click on the continuing education menu and you'll get a drop down and you can click on mastering the meaning of mandalas or one of the other trainings as well. What are some of the other exercises that relate to the heart um, that are in the book that really speak to you? Um, 
Well, the first exercise, which I bring grounding to, as I mentioned, is heart sensory breathing, bringing us grounded to heart center. Um, I think this is the most important one where where I, I talk about bringing energy into the heart from, I start with the sky. So we stretch our arms up to the sky and bring the sky into the heart, the sun in the sky. And then we stretch our arms down to the earth and bring grounding into the heart. And then we bring the arms back up to the heart. And then we stretch out to the side, to our neighbors, and we receive energy from our neighbors. And then we exhale, bring in our hands back to our heart. And then we stretch our hands out in front of us and we, we exhale and give, we inhale and give more to our neighbors and then exhale and bring our hands back to our heart. And then we stretch out behind us and let go of all of the things that we need to let go of in our day or in our life. And then bring our hands back to our heart and find gratitude. And from there, the other most important activity after that grounding exercise is just tuning into pulse. And so one of the things I instruct is just being able to find the pulse. When we go to our regular doctor's visits, one of the first things they assess is your heart rate and your blood pressure. And to be able to find a place to tune into pulse um, by feeling it in your own body, sometimes we can tune into it and actually feel it by palpating or touching um, the right of the um, the in the radial artery in your wrist. So a little bit to the right of your, um, the two bones that meet in the middle of your wrist, you can, you, you can feel your pulse there. Some people feel it to the right of their windpipe at the carotid artery. So these are the, these are, you know, these arteries in our body that are pumping blood through and we can begin to feel that. So I'll actually be doing this in a large group on Wednesday next week and asking um, an entire fourth grade to tune into their to tune into their pulse and so we will all find that pulse and everybody's pulse will be at a different tempo there'll be teachers there who are older than the children and the their heart rate will be a little bit slower children tend to have a faster heart rate faster metabolism and then as we get older we you know adults and and adolescents we come into this you know, around 60 beats per minute, okay? So this music tempo, this tempo that's within. And so I think um, usually in large groups, I bring the drums out and have people um, begin to play their pulse on the drum. And I, I have my buffalo drum, which mm, I would find my pulse like this. So if my pulse was slow, but usually in the group, people have a different pulse. Some people will be like this. Some people will be a little slower. And we come to a chant together. I asked the whole group to begin playing their drum and chanting heart beat, wherever your heartbeat lands until we all come into synchrony. Mm. Okay. So with this pulse, I look for synchrony in the group. And that that's sort of the second activity is being able to express your pulse on a drum. So taking from the body to the outside, and this is me communicating what's going on inside of me, I'm fast or I'm slow or I'm more even-tempered, tempoed. And so in the group, um, as everybody's playing the drum, I invite everybody to begin playing 
however they want to, to express themselves freely. And so I think the drum is a great tool to allow people um, to express and resonate in a way that it doesn't matter if you're playing in tune or on pitch because right. it's considered a non-pitched instrument. You might get a few varying sounds depending on where you hit the drum, but it allows us to play freely and we and we can hit it with our hands, we can hit it with a mallet, um, you know, it. And so this invites an opportunity for this free expression. Um, and and what I like to do is invite people to express whatever they want and to, we, we look at how we might interact with other people in this sort of playground of, of drumming. And then eventually I bring everybody back and I'll say, come back to that original pulse. Mm -hmm. And we look at that pulse and see where you're at. We slow down. We come back to a grounding space and I ask everybody to put the drums on the floor. And then I say, find that pulse in your body again, at your wrist, at your carotid artery. And where is that pulse? Where is that heart beat rhythm? And what do you notice? What do you notice? Do you notice your hands tingling? Do you notice a little bit of sweat on your forehead from hitting the drum? Do you notice a change in your mood? Mm. So we look at these things. Um, and so this invites the heart to dance a little bit. And I, I think I might have David Bowie's Let's Dance <laughs> in that chapter. Um, and then what I will be asking this group to do on Wednesday is um, creating some art in response to um, the the heart. And so with the children, I'll be bringing markers and stickers and um, pens and different things to make a heart card. So on a single piece of paper, draw whatever your heart, whatever's going on in your heart. It could be lines or squiggles or dots, or it could be a symbol of a heart. We don't know. Just let anything come out on this little card that you'll have and then after everybody makes their art in response with that music we turn it over and I ask them to just write words that the heart says mm -hmm. words so we do like a tiny bit of um, dialoguing with the image of the card and so what do you see in that I see fullness or I see chaos what is on that card I see lots of color. I see the color blue. I see. And so maybe you write down the word blue on the back of the card, or maybe you write down the word busy, or maybe you write down the word colorful. And then we would just share, what does your heart say? <laughs> my heart, my heart is full. My heart is excited. And so giving voice through the image. Um, so these are, I sort of went through this whole sort of protocol, um, but this is one of the things I'll be doing and it, it's outlined in the book. So creating the heart card, dancing with the heart, tuning into sensory breathing um, are some of the beginning activities um, presented. And there are many others. Yeah, yeah, it's full. 
um, each chapter has um, a beautiful um, description of how to engage in the exercise. And um, I was really like loving the part of how um, you're getting people to, um, you know, come together in synchrony based on their own rhythm, the, the rhythm that they are naturally producing within themselves. Um, oftentimes in, you know, we think about like we're playing together. Um, if we're in a drum circle or something, you're playing together, but you're taking it a step further because the rhythm that you're playing is the rhythm from within. What do you what do you think happens to us as humans when we engage in activities that allow us to synchronize in that way? Yes. Um, I think one of the things that can bring us and the research would support this, the most happiness is when we're connected to others and that sense of connection, that sense of community and the sense of belongingness you know, there's the term of we're on the same wavelength. I mm -hmm. feel, you. I literally feel you. I understand what's going on. And it goes back to what we were maybe talking about earlier with the listening hour, being heard mm -hmm. um, can be a silent practice and, or it can be a musical practice. And I think um, this idea of being on the same wavelength or sharing the same rhythm gives us a container of being held. And that's one of the most special things about music is how many of us have felt sad or lonely or a myriad of another emo different emotions and put on music. And that music allowed us permission to emote, mm -hmm. to feel excited, to be depressed and hold us in that space. And that space changes, you know, we, our emotions and our feelings fluctuate every day throughout the day, but music gives us that opportunity to be held. Um, and, and when we are held with people in a certain rhythm, it allows us a sense, maybe a sense of freedom or permission to be who we are, um, a sense of self-actualization to, to do what we need to do in our lives. I love that. Um, yeah, that a deep, it is like a, I'm visualizing that you're doing this in the round. I'm imagining that that's what's happening. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it creating that container with our bodies as we're creating together, um, I think as expressive therapists that we're always thinking about being in the circle, um, or at least I going to Leslie, right? Every time we would do an activity in, in class, it would always be in the round. Um, and there's like that piece to that physical sense of we created the container and then you're creating that another layer of container and that we're deeply listening to one another's own rhythm. Um, it, it sounds like a very amazing experience to be in that in the larger group. I think so. And, but then there are times where we don't have the group and we don't have the person and maybe the music can't match our mood. Mm -hmm. And that's where I have some activities in the book about finding ways to tune into breath 
later on we come back to breath and I have something in there called musical pranayama and pranayama is breath control and it's yoga it's a yoga term from Sanskrit and so looking at how the heart can run wild it can have its own tempo it can have its own meter but if we have breath breath can soothe the nervous system and it can wrangle that heart and bring us to whatever space we need to be so I think even if we don't have those circles of groups of people mm -hmm. or people having that music and if we don't have that music tuning into the dripping sound of water breathing finding that sort of just mindful break of being able to tune into something for a moment and um, you know, people have practiced this for years in mindful exercises and finding ways to tune in um, to the rhythms of life. And Mathau has a wonderful book um, about um, listening to the music that's all around us through nature and taking that pause to breathe with those sounds, um, I think is really relevant. Mm, it sounds beautiful too. Yeah. So what would um what would be an example of one of the other exercises you have in the book was a, a musical life review? What Great. does that look like? The musical life review is one of my favorite activities because it allows us to reflect on the music that has played a role in our entire lives. And our lives go on and we have pre-lives. We have before we were born. So we can even reach out to um, our family members or our ancestors. And it allows us to build a soundtrack that can be perpetual. And so this is an assignment that I invite my students to do in the, in the Foundations of Music Therapy class. And I ask the students, to find at least 10 songs. You could go, you could do a hundred songs, but find at least 10 songs that have played a role in your life from birth to the present. Mm. And I show them my musical life review and I play it for them. And as I play this, these little snippets of songs, about 20 seconds for each song, I share the story of my life. And I play um, Mrs. Robinson, by Simon and Garfunkel. And I say, this is what I listen to driving up to camp every summer from age eight to 14 with my sisters and the car and my parents, Jeep Cherokee. And, you know, and I, I see the trees going by as we're speeding down the highway to get to New Hampshire from Massachusetts. And it's this memory that's conjured up just by listening to that song. And so I asked the students to think of the first song that they know or maybe a song that was sung to them as a child or maybe they they talked to their their um birth parent and the birth parent said oh when you were in the womb I would put I would always play this song so that's even a pre-birth to add to the soundtrack mm -hmm. um but I, after the students finish sharing their soundtrack they have to tell the story and share it with the class and and play their whole soundtrack as one of the assignments but I say continue adding to it continue adding to it over the course of your life give it to your children 
here, this is my mom's soundtrack of her life. This is the music that played a role in her life. That's really a cool gift. Um, it makes me think too of, um, did you ever see the documentary Alive Inside? Yes. Yeah, yes. where like he has people create that kind of soundtrack of their life and it helps them um, become more present if they're struggling with um, neurocognitive impairment. Um, but it, yeah, <laughs> makes uh, me and, think of that. And and in the in the film alive inside the project started with bringing um ipods so it was ipods into um facilities that worked with people who had alzheimer's and dementia and so at the level where maybe so such cognitive impairment that the ability to communicate verbally was so diminished and then these people who had that cognitive impairment wore these headphones they were able to sing these songs and it conjured up memories and began to recall memories and talk about them and so it's the music of our lives mm -hmm. sparks all of this and it, it's really rooted deep inside of us um and you know speaking about the womb we you know at 26 weeks we can detect music and we we beyond the heartbeat which we hear in the womb we can hear these sounds that are outside of the womb and we can think about what music am i exposing this person to and maybe it'll play a role later on in their lives you know it's fascinating to even think about that that we're hearing everything that's going on um around the life of our mother before we're like out physically in the world. Um, I think it's important to know as well, just what are we exposing our children to in, in terms of vibration and energy and frequency? Because if we're exposed to environments that can be harmful, you know, how could we maybe change that to give um, um, our baby this opportunity to come into a more peaceful environment or to be exposed to a more peaceful environment? Yeah. Can you speak a little bit about like frequencies you write about it in the book and about how there have been um, certain frequencies of sound that connect in different ways? Yeah. Um, so Amoto is famous for um, applying different um, words and sounds to um, petri dishes with droplets of water. And then um, while those petri dishes of water were exposed to different sounds um, and different pitches in some ways, um, um, and each pitch has its own frequency and words have a frequency and a meaning and a semantic to them. What, what Emoto observed as this water crystallized in these Petri dishes was that those that were deemed more positive sounds had more symmetrical shape to them. Um, and when these different pitches, like the note C versus the note D, they look sort of, they crystallize, they look sort of like mandalas in these really intricate designs. Um, um, when words such that were neg considered negative, like hate or th words that Emoto considered ugly or harmful, those 
crystallized um, droplets of water appeared fragmented um, and incomplete. Um, and some almost like began to bubble up in a way and and it 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 changed the look. Um, so then there's this field of cymatics where people actually um, look at frequency measured in water um, or sometimes rice. And so they add different pitches or vibrations and people have made it an art form now. You can buy books with with images of um, this, these cool. cymatics. Um, uh, so one of the things that we're looking at is water and that our body is like the 70% water. Same thing with the earth. The earth is like 70% water. And we can feel these frequencies in our body. We can feel the like actual pulsation um, through, you know, through my flesh and that whatever is around me is pulsating through my whole body. Every or piece of every organ has its own frequency. Every part of our body, even, even the desk that you're sitting at, Raina, has its own frequency. The food that we eat has different frequencies. Um, colors have different frequencies as they're exposed to our eyes. And, you know, if our eyes receive so many billions of impulses every day but our whatever whichever way it's coming in through our eyes or through our ears or through our physical body we're receiving all of these different energies around us and all of these different frequencies and so sometimes if we're exposed to frequencies that are not compatible or are way like angry or not working the frequency is just not compatible with our body we we usually know how to step away mm -hmm. and remove ourselves to from the situation but sometimes if there's been trauma and disruption to what's going on in our bodies then that association with that frequency can become disruptive and we'll be looking for that again later in life and sometimes that trauma can happen in in childhood and sometimes that trauma can happen in adulthood but if we think of it in terms of frequency and what we're attracted to um you know we can look at it from the cognitive behavioral perspective we can look at it through um the this energetic perspective but there's but i i think there's something to be said for um the frequencies around us and what we find pleasing and what we feel connected to and maybe look at the lineage of our lives and even our ancestors and their ancestors and and what might have maybe impacted um the blood in our body the vibration in our body and in in what we're drawn to today and how our um, emotions pour out of us in certain um situations yeah. it's kind of a lot there but um <laughs> just something some things to consider in terms yeah. of yeah. No, I found it, I find it fascinating and very interesting. Um, and I think it's interesting to see the science around it that, you know, we, we have certain phrases and you have like a, a nice list of these kind of idiomatic phrases that we use to really describe this experience that we're having in our body. Um, but that, you know, we don't necessarily have like a tangible 
tangible proof of it. Although, you know, some things in recent um, scientific research are demonstrating that these things really do exist, like the um, scars in our heart tissue and, and things of that nature, but like that sense of feeling heartbroken, um, that we are interpreting these frequencies and vibrations all the time and creating these phrases to, to describe what it is that we're sensing in the body. Um, it's fascinating. Thank you. Yes, I agree. And, you know, um, going through the loss of my father and that being such an important connection for me in terms of filling hole in my musical frequency and going over to his house and he would pull out his bass guitar and I'd pull my flute out because I'm a flute player and we play those jazz standards. And there was sort of this connection that we had that was nonverbal and felt so natural and so comfortable. And we were on that same wavelength. We shared that same frequency and we just, we just play that jazz standard. And in, in jazz, there's sort of like this yielding or knowing like you're you're just sort of playing around this melody and mm -hmm. counting the whatever the tempo is and whatever the you know the whatever meter that you're in but you you just know where you are you know wherever you're gonna land is in the right spot and and sharing that sort of space I think is another great example of that continuum and when I play those songs it brings me back to the energy that I shared with my dad in that same rhythm and that same frequency. And I have recordings of us playing together and that is sacred, that shared yeah. space. And just to bring it back to music, I think that that can always be a grounding space for all humans um, to find a place to connect with rhythm and um, a frequency that feels right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really a, a beautiful a beautiful thing to be able to share with a parent. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. You had lost your dad so early in life that, and suddenly it sounds like it was, um, the two of you had a, a very strong and meaningful relationship. Thank um, you. Yeah. 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 He was a really great person. And I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely not easy um, losing a parent. And um, I definitely connected with a, a lot of how you described it. It changes. Um, it changes the rhythm of your heart in that grief space. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, grief can be manifested in a number of different ways um not just with somebody dying and i think acknowledging the changes that are going on in our body and recognizing and noticing how it might change our behaviors and our thought patterns and the way we do things is is important to acknowledge and to be able to name that i'm feeling this today is is significant and a lot of people don't want to do that and to acknowledge what's going on is super, super respectful to the self, I think. Yeah. And essential, right? I think as some um, Dan Siegel, if you can name it, you can tame it, right? Mm -hmm. 
if we can identify how it, how, what is happening, then we have a better sense of mastery of, around it and how it's going to impact um, our way of being in the world. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, if people wanted to learn more about your work and um, where they can pick up a copy of the Roots and Rhythm of the Heart, where can they find that information? You can find out more information about me or contact me through my website, which is crystaldemain.com. It's spelled K-R-Y-S-T-A-L. D-E-M-A-I-N-E.com. And you can find the book almost anywhere that books are sold, um, including your local library. Lovely. Well, I will put, I'll put your website link in the show notes, and I'll also put a link to um, the book as well. And yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for your work and uh, so appreciative that you shared a copy with me to read before our interview. Um, it's a really beautiful contribution to um, the field, um, but just to the human community, I think in general, that's so um, relatable and accessible um, mm -hmm. to people that aren't, that don't have a background in expressive arts therapies even. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me, Raina. I really appreciate all of your time and, and energy, and you've been so lovely to talk to. Oh, so have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to episode three of season two of the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Crystal Domaine. I really appreciated speaking with her about her work and her process and her commitment to her creative ideas. I was really inspired by how she decided to continue writing her book, even once uh, publishers decided they wanted to go in a different direction. And, um, I hope that was inspiring for you all too, if that's something that you're considering doing. Anyway, enjoy the rest of your day and definitely check out uh, the show notes for a link to a copy of Dr. Domain's book, The Roots and Rhythm of the Heart. Uh, I, I have a copy and have been reading it and have found it to be utterly fascinating and um, just really resonates with some ideas that I've been thinking about in the work that we do as therapists. So I hope that you enjoy it too. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.